Hello and welcome. We're pleased to have you tuned in to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. He's reminding them of what God's word had already said. Most people are happy with the idea that slavery is wrong. In the Old Testament book of Jeremiah, God made it clear that slaves were to be set free. Sadly, the people he was addressing through his prophet Jeremiah had some obedience issues. There are some lessons here for us, believe it or not. Let's join Dr. Corbett now for Set Slaves Free. Passages of scripture should guide our public policy. Should we go with uh, Leviticus, which uh, suggests slavery is okay? Or we could go uh, with uh, Deuteronomy, which suggests stoning your child if he strays from the faith? Or should we just stick to the Sermon on the Mount? A passage that is so radical that it's doubtful that our own Defense Department would survive its application. Folks haven't been reading their Bible. There's a lot I could say about this, but I just want to focus on one thing that the now President Barack Obama said. I don't know his heart, but when he says the Bible encourages parents to stone their children who stray from the faith, and then he says folks just haven't been reading their Bible, I've got to think he's, he's the folks <laughs> because the Bible does not say that parents should stone their children if they stray from the faith. It doesn't say that at all. Does it encourage the military to turn the other cheek and not to act as a defence force? Clearly not. Someone's not been reading Romans chapter 13 which says God appoints those who bear the sword to defend on behalf of a state or a nation. The bit I want to hone in on is what he had to say about slavery. This is something that was stated in September 2013 on Q&A. Pastor Matt Prater asked Kevin Rudd a question. You profess to be a Christian, yet you disregard the Bible's clear teachings when it comes to certain matters of public policy. Why is that? Kevin Rudd didn't answer the question. What he did say was almost verbatim what now President Barack Obama said. And that is this. The Bible encourages the stoning of children. The Bible encourages slavery. And he picked on this slavery issue. And so I want to have a look at this because in this section we're going to see God commanding the, the people of Jerusalem who own slaves to set them free. To set them free. And we're going to see, hopefully in, in this brief examination of this passage here, that scripture does not endorse slavery and never has and let's see if we can make sense of it as we we're going to be reading from verse 8 and you might think well australia's never had slavery and the last bout of slavery well that that ended in the the middle 1800s with the what was essentially the american civil war and prior to that it was in Europe and England and Willie Wilberforce dealt with it there and so why are we even looking at this issue now 
Well, here's some interesting statistics. There was a major research project called the uh, Polaris Project. It found this. There are more people in slavery today than at any other point in history. The number they put on it is 27 million people are involuntarily enslaved today. According to the US Department of State, Trafficking in Persons report, the TIP report, it it estimates that conservatively, globally, 4 to 27 million people are involuntarily enslaved today. The International Labour Organization estimates 2.4 million people were victims of human trafficking between the years 1995 to 2005, just a 10-year period. This estimate uses the UN protocol definition of human trafficking and includes transnational as well as national data. Every year, 800,000 people are sold as slaves across international borders. That comes from the United Nations report on slavery. The Trafficking in Persons report commissioned by the Department of State in the US reports that there are some 800 to 900,000 victims annually of involuntary slavery. The number is now estimated to be 1 million children every year are sold in the global commercial sex slave trade every year. Good grief. 50% of all slaves sold today are children. 70% of slaves are women. This is not just something that was happening in Bible times. We need to be aware of this. We're reading from verse 8 of Jeremiah chapter 34. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord after King Zedekiah had made a covenant with all the people in Jerusalem to make a proclamation of liberty to them. Verse 9. And here it is. Here's what Zedekiah did. That everyone should set free his Hebrew slaves, male and female, so that no one should enslave a Jew, his brother. A couple of things here. Babylon had, you recall had surrounded Jerusalem. They'd shut the gates. There was now what is called a siege happening where the city is enclosed and is drawing down its food and water supplies. It appears, we don't know the background to this, but it appears that Zedekiah was grasping at straws to find the favour of God to overcome the Babylonians. It appears that someone said to him that if we obeyed the law, we might be able to get God back on our side. How should we obey the law? Might have been the question that was asked and Zedekiah might have heard those slaves that we are holding illegally, we should release them to get the blessing of God. Now coincidentally, At the king's decree to release these illegally held slaves, Babylon 
received word that the Egyptian army was coming against them. And so they left the siege around Jerusalem to go off and deal with Egypt. We'll come back in a minute to this story. But I do need to explain the biblical use of the word slave. When the Bible uses the word slave, it actually means something. In fact, the Hebrew word here is bonded servant, a bond servant. It's, it's closer to what we might call an indentured worker or an apprenticed worker. Now, we hear the word slave, we think manacles, whips, harshly treated, slave for life. When the Bible has English translators who don't help by translating this word as slave, it conjures up the pictures that we have from the times of William Wilberforce and the American Civil War, around that time. And that's what we think of when we think of slave. But the Bible has a different picture of this word. And some translations will actually use the words bondservant or perhaps bond slave. And this is what uh, Bible dictionary commentator uh, Easton says. The word slaves is the rendering in the New Testament of the Greek word meaning bodies. The Hebrew and Greek words for slave are usually rendered simply servant, bondman or bondservant. Slavery as it existed under the law of Moses has no modern parallel. The law did not originate slavery, but it only regulated the already existing custom of slavery. For example, Exodus 21.20 and Leviticus 25.44, Joshua 9.6. The gospel in its spirit and genius is hostile to slavery in every form, which under its influence is gradually disappearing from among men. Uh, this was Easton's Bible Dictionary, written, uh, I think, around 100 years ago. Now, the, the idea is, if you read through how it describes what a slave was in Bible times, it was somebody who could not pay a debt to a creditor. So what they would do is they would say, perhaps they're working a farm. They couldn't pay the debts. They'd say, well, have my son for, for six years. He'll work for you for six years and that will clear our debt. And that's what they would do. It's actually written in the law of Moses that unlike what you were doing previously, which was selling your children forever, from now on, no creditor can hold a slave for more than six years. In the seventh year, they were to be released. Why? Because reasonably by then the debt was paid. That's the word slave that the Bible uses. It sounds more like an apprenticeship. It sounds more like somebody who has a contract. And that's exactly what it was. And it was usually in association with debts that couldn't be paid. Now, what if you didn't have children? Well, parents, it pays to have children. But if you didn't have children, you could sell yourself. What if the slave, after six years, says, you know what? This bloke's not bad to work for. You know, I actually enjoy working for this 
master. He feeds me. He gives me whatever I want. He lets me work my own hours. I'm, he, he looks after me. I'm, he treats me with a bit of respect. I'm actually on a pretty good deal here. Then the law said that slave could say to his master, I voluntarily bond myself to you for life. And does anyone know how the slave, how you could tell if a slave had done that? Poof, through the door. <laughs> That's what they did. Put his ear against the door and bore a hole through it and put an earring there so everyone would know he belongs to someone. Now, that bears no resemblance to what happened in Europe or what became the United States. No resemblance at all. So that's why we say the biblical word slave doesn't mean slave. It doesn't mean that at all. All right. In 1 Timothy, this is a New Testament verse, and I want you to see here the, the, the things that it lists as being evil. Now, you may not like this list. You may even see yourself in this list. And you may see something in this list that you want to have an argument with and get really upset about. But for the moment, all I want you to do is see that it says slave traders is evil. Slave trading is evil. The law is for people who are sexually immoral, who practice homosexuality. Let me make a comment on that. Not for those who battle with same-sex attraction. Because battling with same-sex attraction and not acting on it is an honourable thing to do. Slave traders, liars, covenant breakers, or who do anything else that contradicts the wholesome teaching of Scripture. But all I want you to see there is that when people say the Bible teaches that slavery is okay, it actually condemns it as evil. It doesn't endorse it at all. So let's think about what we're about, because what we're about to read in this Jeremiah passage is the prophet Jeremiah is going to remind the king, King Zedekiah, he's going to remind him this is what the law actually teaches about servants, how you treat your servants, a much better word than slavery. But we'll use the word slavery because it's in this text. So the New Testament condemns it, just straight up condemns it. Now, someone might go, oh, no, no, no. In fact, Kevin Rudd did this. He quoted, bond servants, obey your masters, as, as if that is saying, go ahead and enslave people. <laughs> bond servants, obey your masters. Bond servants in the sense of somebody who has a contract with someone to fulfill a debt, fulfill that debt. And Kevin Rudd wants us, wanted us to think, that's evil? This, this is... This is a distortion of what the Bible teaches. Bond servants obey your masters is probably the equivalent of saying employees be faithful to your employer. The Old Testament regulated slavery. There are certain things that God does not endorse, yet he regulated. How you treat servants is just one of them. I readily think of another one. It's called polygamy. The Bible doesn't endorse it. But it was an established practice embedded in the culture and so the Bible regulated it. 
under the old covenant. We're in verse 10. And they obeyed. Right, so the king has ordered, let the, set the slaves free. And all the officials and all the people who had entered into the covenant, that everyone should set free his slave, male or female, so that they would not be enslaved again. They obeyed and set them free. Well, in response to this, we who understand scripture should say, and so they should. Slaves? should have been freed after six years. Now, here's the point. The king says, the the Bible says, we should set our slaves free. And so they do. The people set them free. And coincidentally, if there is such a thing, and I doubt it, but if there is such a thing as coincidence, it turns out that Babylon leaves. What luck? You, me, Reg? Uh, What luck? Here we have... It seems the king is doing the right thing. Here's the deal. You can do and be seen to do the right thing for the wrong reason. And that appears to be what's happening here with King Zedekiah and the officials of Jerusalem. They're doing the right thing, but for the wrong reason. Hmm. The righteous will, will, will do things even when there's no blessing in it for them, and it even costs them and it hurts. And I've and I got to tell you, I've got to ask the question, am I prepared to obey God, do the right thing, even if there's no benefit for me in doing it? Because that really asks the heart question. What's in my heart? What is in my heart? Now, fortunately for us, God's word indicates That when you obey God, there is blessing. God honours those who honour him. Jesus said that. So there is blessing here. But here's here's what I've discovered. Jeremiah is interacting with these people. You should set the slaves free. The king goes, okay, we'll set the slaves free. It looks like they're being blessed. The kings go, "Uh uh-huh, I got this worked out. I know how to manipulate God. We just do this and we can get God to do what we want. Something really, really crook with a person's heart when they begin to think that way. And I think God expects people to obey him from their heart because they want to. Because they want to. Verse 11. But afterward, they turned around and took back the male and female slaves they'd set free and brought them into subjection as slaves. What? What does it take for these guys to learn? So you get the picture. They set them free. Babylon coincidentally goes off because they hear a rumour that Egypt's coming. These guys go, ah, cool, that worked. All right, let's enslave them again. Huh. And, and I, I guess as I look at this, I think, no, they, they shouldn't have done that. You shouldn't have done that. There are times when you've got to do the right thing, even when it's going to cost you dearly. See, why, why were you know, Americans in the 1800s so reluctant to give up their slaves? Because there was tremendous economic benefit to not paying anybody anything. Tremendous benefit having 100 slaves work your field that you didn't have to pay for. There was commercial interest here. But it was wrong. So here's, here's the thing. We, we've got, I think God expects us to obey him from our heart, even when it costs to do so. Verse 12. 
Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I myself made a covenant with your fathers when I brought them out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, saying, now here's what Jeremiah's going to do. So, so we've, we've gone through this exercise. They've, they've retake, re-enslaved their slaves. And Jeremiah's going to basically do this. Let me tell you a story. You were once slaves. God brought you out of the house of slavery. And then he instituted this law. At the, at the end of seven years, each of you must set free the fellow Hebrew who has been sold to you and has served six years. So at the beginning of the seventh year, at, at this, at, when the seventh year comes around, you, you've got to set them free. You must set him free from your service. What is Jeremiah doing? He's reminding them of what God's word had already said. This is not a new word from God. This is the established word from the Lord. He's just simply reminding them what God had already said. But your fathers did not listen to me or incline their ears to me. Verse 15. You recently repented. Key word. You recently repented and did what was right in my eyes. By proclaiming liberty or freedom each to his neighbor. And you made a covenant before me in the house that is called by my name. So they've come to church and said, we repent, we've done wrong. We've held these slaves illegally against the word of God. We repent. Jeremiah says that was a good thing to do. But then... You turned around and profaned my name when each of you took back his male and female slaves whom you had set free according to their desire and you brought them into subjection to be your slaves. Verse 17. Therefore, thus says the Lord, you have not obeyed me by proclaiming liberty. Everyone to his brother and to his neighbor. Behold, I proclaim to you liberty to the sword, to pestilence and to famine declares the Lord, I will make you a horror to all the kingdoms of the earth. And what you might not recognize is just as God was quoting from some of these passages out of Deuteronomy, that last little bit is also in Deuteronomy. This is not new information. This is saying, if you live under my protection, I guard you from pestilence. I guard you from your enemies. I guard you from famine. I'll make sure you're always provided. And here's my protective hands over you. I will guard you. But if you walk away from my protection, you, I can't, you, you won't be protected against sword, famine and pestilence. This is not new information. It is what God's word had said. Now, God commends them for obeying him. And quite possibly, this is the interesting thing is, they obeyed him and he commends them, even though they didn't really obey him in a heartfelt way. Sometimes it seems that simply doing the right thing is an honourable thing to do, even when you don't do it for the right motive. You ever, parents see this all the time with their children. Tell your brother you're sorry. No, tell your brother you're sorry. Sorry. Thank you, mom. I'm so moved by your heartfelt apology. But even though it's not from the heart, it's still the right thing to do. There's an honourable thing in doing it. There's an honourable thing in doing it. And this is where some people have said, we can't expect people to do the right thing if they don't really do it from their heart. Yes, we can. 
There are some people and their heart wants to commit all kinds of crime. And even though their heart wants to, they do the right thing. They, they do the honourable thing. And I've got to tell you, that's honourable. Thank you for doing that. I, I've got a suspicion this is how society functions. <laughs> and if you've ever wanted to do something horrible to someone, that's in your heart. But you've gone, I, I really shouldn't. And then even though your heart might have to catch up a bit or your actions might have to catch or whatever it is, you need to get aligned you're still doing the right thing. Well, this is what's happened here. You did the right thing when you repented. Now, what did repentance look like? It actually looked like them stopping doing something in particular and doing and turning around and doing the right thing. So it went, they, they did that at a time, and here's my question, knowing that sometimes doing the right thing is hard. When do you find it easiest to obey God? In good times or bad? When things are going really, really well for you, are you at your most passionate and zealous for God? Or does it take tough times for you to press into God? I actually think it's... My hunch is it's easier for most people when times are tough. Can I encourage us that we actually see how we go pressing into God with a heart that yearns to please him and live for him and obey him, even when things are going well. Things were not going well for Jerusalem and they turned to God almost as a last resort. When God seemed to deliver them, they just went back to their old ways straight away. God exposed their heart. He exposed their heart. Israel was called to obey God no matter what, they were offered. And it's a life principle that the greater the benefit, and there is tremendous benefit being right with God, the greater the accountability. And they were about to experience accountability. God commended them for their repentance. I said that was a key word. This repentance is absolutely necessary for eternal life. You see, repentance means you stop going down your set of priorities. You stop giving in to the price and you adopt a whole new set of priorities, a whole new set of values. You begin to live for God. You begin to cry out to God, I want, to live, I want my life to please you and to honour you. That's repentance. And it's absolutely necessary for eternal life. In fact, if you read the first three words that Jesus uttered publicly, the word repent is in those words. And here's the really good news. The new covenant that Jesus has made possible helps us to repent. It helps us to repent. It helps us supernaturally. It helps us to repent. So what price do you place on your obedience to God? Some challenging words there to ponder. More from Dr. Corbett next week with Transgressing the Covenant. Podcasts and Finding Truth Matters resources, including tonight's program, Set Slaves Free, are available via the website findingtruthmatters.org or by contacting us at Lagana Media. P.O. Box 1143, Lagana, Tasmania 7277. For regular updates and special offers, visit our Facebook page, facebook.com slash findingtruthmatters. 
Dr. Corbett is pastor of the Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to joining you again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.